So I have a five kids. My youngest, Myron, is 10 years old. And Myron, from the time he was like two or three, has loved chickens. I don't know why. He just loves chickens. Like he would ask for stuffed chickens, like not a stuffed, like you eat chicken, but like a stuffed toy chicken for his birthday or for Christmas. He had, has a rooster that for a number of years, it would go with him wherever he went, this stuffed rooster. That's how much he loves chickens. So we have these chickens right now, and we've been noticing feathers all over our field. So the chickens now are looking like they're about ready to be put in a stew because they're missing all their feathers. So Myron's like, what's getting them? What's doing this? What's killing our chickens? What's happening to our chickens? I'm like, I don't know. So we put a game camera down there kind of near their pen. So uh, we get hundreds and hundreds of pictures of chickens every day. Like they peck at the camera and they stand right in front of the camera. You have like 20 shots of just a chicken just looking at the camera. And then they fertilize the camera. I'm like, ah, you fertilizers. So just all these pictures. So I don't even want to like, I'm like, ah. So Myron just takes them and he studies them like picture after picture after picture. And he found a rat. Like, I don't know how he saw it. Like it just blended in. It was at night and he just saw this rat. He's like, dad, there's a rat. I'm like, what? I looked at all those pictures. No, he found a rat. And then I shouldn't have missed this. He found a skunk. I'm like, that's what's doing it. The skunk is doing it. So for the past 15, 16, 17 days, every time I come home from work, it's Myron, dad, 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 come down here. You gotta see this, you gotta see this. You gotta come down there and see this. All I want to do is go inside and sit down. I just wanna stare at a wall. I don't wanna go down and avoid chicken poop and look at things that Myron has found, right? Is that being too honest? Like, dad, you ever felt that way? Like, uh, I've already been working for 10 hours. Can I just sit down, right? So it's like, ah, just constant, right? I have never in the last 15 days thought, you know, I could solve this problem real easy. I could offer Myron up as a burnt sacrifice. <laughs> that has never crossed my mind, right? It's what makes Genesis 22 the hardest chapter in the Bible for me. Like, it's unfathomable that we'd have Genesis 22. Like, people have all kinds of ways that they do it. Like, well, he had faith and knew that uh, Isaac would be resurrected. Hey, that can be true. But God asks Abraham to kill his son Isaac. That's hard for me. You can call me weird. You can say that's strange. For me, that's just really, really hard. And it's true. And it happened. And yes, you can point forward to, yes, this is a picture of a miraculous birth of a promised son who's going to be a, a blessing to nations. You can put all that in there. Yes, it's a picture of Jesus, no doubt. Fully, completely. But it still doesn't change the fact that God says to his friend, Abraham, take your son, the son that you love, and sacrifice. Hard. Chapter 21, last week, man, Abraham, the, the, the family of Abraham is blossoming. Things are awesome. Isaac is brought in. Laughter's brought in. It's amazing, right? Woohoo! 
the best of times. Chapter 22, the worst of times. It was the best of times, and it was the worst of times. And this chapter closes the spiritual journey of Abraham, the father of faith. This is where he runs through the tape. This is a very slow chapter. Whenever you're reading the Bible and it seems like the Bible is taking its time and adding way too much detail, like too much information, TMI right now, what the Bible is trying to get you and me to do is put our intellectual brakes on because it's saying, this is really important. Stop, savor, study, think. And chapter 22 is one of those chapters. It just is almost painfully slow because it's God saying, stop, slow down. So here's what we see. We see the request. Chapter 22, verse one. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac. Does he have two sons? God doesn't acknowledge works of the flesh. Take your only son, Isaac, whom you love. This is the very first time in the Bible that love has been spoken about. It's about a dad and his love for his son. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. Wow. It says God tested Abraham. Only two times in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, only two times does this word come up where God tests. Right here for Abraham. And then in Exodus 20, verse 20, God says through Moses, I'm testing the Israelites to see, number one, if you fear me, Where am I at positionally in your life? And number two, if you'll say no to sin. Temptation and testing are different. Satan tempts us to get us to sin, right? Testing's not that way. When a teacher gives a test to their class, the teacher isn't giving the test to make the student sin although some of us probably sinned when we took certain tests, didn't we, right? That's not the point though. The point of the test is to evaluate. How is the student doing? How am I as a teacher getting across to my students? It's a double evaluation. How are we doing? That's a test. Life is full of tests. Do you know that? and you can't cram the night before because every test in life is a pop quiz. You never know when they're coming. So a number of years ago, I was at this birthday party and there was a lady, she was kind of in and out of church. I would see her every once in a while and not see her, then see her every once in a while and not see her. 
And she's at the birthday party and she was talking to somebody. I happened to be behind her and she just let out a string of cuss words. And then she looked right over at me and she goes, why do I always do that around pastors? I said, I don't know, but here's a bar of soap, woman. You never know. Life is a pop quiz. When we fail a test, what does that do to our souls? Is it Psalm 139, 23 and 24? Lord, search my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me on the path everlasting. Is it an opportunity to repent and confess and to grow and go forward? Or do we feel like we lost something? Because if you really understand the gospel and you really understand Christ's work in us and through us, those moments are, yes, painful. No one wants to fail a test, but they're an opportunity to move forward better. That's what it actually is. Okay. I thought I was better than I am. All right, I confess my failing. I'm being cleansed from that and I get to move forward. I get to eat the bar of soap. It's a test. The big question though is, why would God command Abraham to do something that for the rest of the Bible, he forbids? Why does God do this to Abraham? And you can read commentaries and all of them start giving these answers. It's to show the world how big Abraham's faith is. It's to introduce Isaac to Yahweh. That was the one I thought, what? <laughs> That's a great way to get introduced. Hey, this is the God that wants you burnt like a, a crusty piece of meat. Maybe I won't serve him, right? The only answer we're given is verse 12. God said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. That's the only answer we're given. Soren Kierkegaard was so troubled by this passage. This was his conclusion. He said, Abraham actually failed. Abraham should have said in verse three, I'm not doing that. God, I know you would not want this. I'm not doing that. That's the way he handled this. It was so perplexing to him why God would do this. So why? I think every Christian needs to have a folder in their head titled Psalm 115, verse three. God is in heaven and he does what he wants. And there is a part of us, all of us, that wants to rebel against God being God and doing what he wants. It's been inherited. We often come with conditions we place on God, don't we? I'll follow you, but don't you dare send me to Africa to eat bugs, right? Condition. I'll follow you, but don't make me go to North Korea. I, I won't go there. I'll follow you, but don't you dare tell me who I can and cannot have sex with. I'll follow you, but don't you dare interfere with my business or what I decide or don't decide on my taxes. I'll follow you, but don't you tell me who to hang out with. We put conditions. We don't let God be God. Here's what Abraham knew. God is the creator of everything and there must be no conditions on him. And even though now I don't understand this, God gets to command and I get to obey. Amen. 
I think there's another reason though. I think Isaac was becoming their precious to grab a Lord of the Rings. He was becoming their precious. He was becoming elevated to a point that was going to be dangerous. You know, when you elevate family, when family becomes your God, look out, all kinds of evil can happen. There are countries around our planet right now that because family has taken such a high position in their heads, it's such a large idol, they do what's called honor killings. You know what an honor killing is? It's when a daughter in that family goes and does something that dishonors the family, the brothers are commanded to go and kill her. It's an honor killing. How messed up is that? What happened there? Something that should be a servant becomes a master and it's a tyrant when that happens. You look at Sarah. Her name means princess. Last week we saw that when Sarah got Isaac, she said this, God has made me to laugh. This is my joy, right? Like, woohoo! She was so excited that she had a baby. Giggling, laughing. But in a moment, she goes from giggling to grumpy. The evil stepmother. Because Ishmael is teasing Isaac. Any parent here have two kids? You ever have one of your children tease the other child? I have five children. If we were to banish my children for teasing each other, I would have no children, okay? Your kids may be angels. Mine are real humans. I still love them, but man, they tease each other all the time. But Sarah flips out because for 70 years, she has been waiting for a child and finally she's got it. And it is the source of her joy and happiness. And she says, don't you touch that. Mine, mine don't touch it. It's mine. She forgot. The right order is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added unto you. When you invert that system, look out, there's pain coming. It could be that that's what's happening right here. So God says, take your son, your only son, the son that you love, sacrifice him. Every other time God has told Abraham to do something, he's always said, and if you do it, here's the payoff. Leave the land of your fathers, Ur the Chaldees, and then I'm going to give you a new land. Obey me, and there's a promise. Everyone in your family, everyone, including yourself and your 99, you gotta get circumcised. And if you do this, the covenant that I've made with you will pass down to your son Isaac, and he'll take the mantle of all the blessings. Every ask came with a promise. This one doesn't. There's no promise. There's no, hey, if you do this, this is what you're going to get. It's all loss. Why do you serve God? Is it for the payoff? Or is it because God is God and he deserves my service no matter what? Abraham in this final step of faith is learning. We serve God not to get something from him. We serve God because he deserves it, because he's the creator, because ultimately he owns us 
If you ever believe in the Bible says this, you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God with your body. Take your son, your only son, and sacrifice him. Verse three, so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and rose and went up to the place of which God had told him. Who would do that? He rose early in the morning. Abraham, this is amazing to me. If this was me, I would become a procrastinator. Professional, man. I'd figure out how to kick that can down the road for a while, man. <laughs> I'd make every excuse in the world. He doesn't. Early in the morning, he gets up. Okay, let's go. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Three days. Put yourself in Abraham's sandals. You got three days. You got every opportunity in the world to turn back. What's Abraham thinking as he's walking along with his son? I don't think he told Sarah, right? <laughs> we know she's a woman that will speak her mind. I don't think he told Sarah. He's like, let's just get out of here. Don't tell mom, we're leaving. Did he sleep at all in those three days? Did he eat anything in those three days? What do you think he's thinking about God as he's walking along? Do you think he's mad at God? Can you imagine the pain that he's going through, thinking about what's in front of him? Isn't anticipation worse than the actual event? He's got three days to anticipate this. You think he's mad at God? You ever been mad at God? Does the Bible have people that are mad at God? Read Jeremiah 20. You wanna see a guy who's mad at God, read Jeremiah 20. One of my favorite little texts. Because Jeremiah, obeying God, doing what God has him doing, all that kind of stuff. In chapter 20, there's this priest. He's actually related to him. His name is Pashur. He beats him up and throws him into prison. And so Jeremiah, who's kind of feisty, gives him this nickname. I love nicknames. Don't you? Have you heard of Neiman Marcus? You know what the nickname is for it? Needless markup. You know what Rogaine is? Like, grow back your hair. You know what the nickname is for Rogaine? No gain. Those are good. Jeremiah gives his relative priest, Pasher, he gives him this nickname, Magar Misabib. Terror on all sides. And it sticks. I think it's why it makes his priest slash relative mad and he throws him into prison. And he's in prison and he's sitting there and he just starts to rant at God. Read verses seven through 18 of chapter 20. You deceived me. You lied to me. You forced me to do this. I did not want to do this. I tried to get away from this. He's just ranting mad at God. I wonder, I wonder if that's what Abraham is doing right now. I wonder if he feels like that. Are you kidding me? I left my home. I came to this place. It has not been easy. 
I've obeyed you step after step after step. You promised me this child. You waited 25 years to give him to me. You give him to me, and now you're wanting me to sacrifice him? Oh, maybe you. You promised me abundance of life. You, you promised me that if I follow you and do these things, my marriage will work out, my kids will work out, and they haven't. Ever felt that? Yeah. So Abraham said to the young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. What's worshiping? Were they gonna go up there and sing songs? No, they were going up there in obedience to God to sacrifice. Worship isn't singing songs. Praise is singing songs. Worship is a lifestyle that reflects our allegiance to King Jesus. He's going to worship by obeying a command that he cannot understand right now. I don't understand this at all, but I'm going up this hill. And in obedience, with things I, you know, obedience is really only, only obedience if you disagree with it, right? If it's, not obe- if it's not like something you disagree with, that's not obedience, right? If the God commanded me, Matt, I want you to get tickets to the Civil War game between Oregon State and between the Oregon Ducks. And I want you to go up there because the Oregon State Beavers are gonna smash the Ducks. I'm gonna be like, okay, I'll do that. That's not obedience. Now, if it was the other way, that's obedience. This is obedience and worship because every fiber in Abraham's body is like, ah. And Abraham took, look how slow this is. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And so they went both of them together, right? How unnecessary is that? It's scripture just saying, slow down, slow down. How heavy is this wood? I think we have the wrong picture of Isaac. Like how, how much is he carrying here? It, it reminds me of, I hiked the Pacific Crest Trail with my son, Elijah. And the first year he was five years old turning six. And he as a five-year-old hiked 32 miles. Well, 27 miles, because I carried him for the last five miles. He passed out. I had to put my backpack on the front and I literally held him on my back and walked for five miles with him on my back. Year two, we did 50 miles. That time, I didn't have to carry him. He didn't carry anything, but I didn't have to carry him. The third year, we did 50 more miles. And that time, he carried about 10 pounds. We haven't done it for a while. He's 16 now. I said, next time we do the Pacific Crest Trail, you're going to carry me. That's the new deal. (laughs) Isaac is not four or five. Isaac is 16 years old here. Abraham's 115. Keep that in mind as you think through what's going to happen. 16-year-old, pretty strong, pretty tough. 115-year-old, hmm, not so strong, not so tough. Verse 7, and Isaac, this is the first time they've talked. There's been no conversation And Isaac said to his father Abraham, my father, 
And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? You think Isaac's getting a little suspicious here? It's a strange dad. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. Isaac knew about sacrifices. Why? Because Abraham was a Deuteronomy 6 dad. He had instructed and shown. Abraham had demonstrated, this is what it looks like. This is what happens. This is what we do. And so Isaac knew all about it. And verse five, when Abraham says to the young people, hey, wait here, and this conversation happens, he says, we are going to return. There's faith in here. Faith in really, really dark times. There's faith in here. So here's the deed, verse nine. And when they came to the place of which God had told him, by the way, most likely right now, the temple in Jerusalem is on this spot, this exact spot. Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Now he's really suspicious. What kind of emotions do you think are happening in both of them right now? Father and son. You think there's tears? Betrayal? Do you think Isaac could have stopped his dad from tying him up? 16-year-old versus a 115-year-old. What are the odds on that? What would Vegas be betting? I got a 16-year-old. I'm 15. I'm, I'm 15. No. I might be a little older than 15. I'm 51 and apparently dyslexic. Maybe I should get evaluated. <laughs> and you know what? He can probably take me. Don't tell him that because I still have the dad advantage where I flinch and he still flinches. And that's when I get him. But he is strong, man. It's, it won't be long. If he can't take me now, give him six months, he will. So Isaac, Isaac is submitting to the will of his father. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife. Look how slow that is. And Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. What image do you have in your head on that? Is it knife up high, maybe Abraham closing his eyes, ready to stab it down? That's not how you would do it. Abraham, by 115 years of age, would have probably killed a thousand animals over the course of his life. That's just what happened. That's what he did. And you don't do it that way. You put the knife to the throat and then you come across. That's where the knife would be. The knife would be on his son's throat. And you read that, as a parent, you just say, oh, mm. If you're single in here, you're like, never. If you're a young man, you're like, hey, this is unfair. Right? This is a brutal, brutal, brutal scene. That's why it slows down so much. 
took the right? Yeah. But, it's a really good but there. And the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place, the name of the place, the Lord will provide, Yahweh Yaira, literally. As it is said to this day, on the mount of Yahweh, it shall be provided. Wow. A substitution. You think Isaac's happy? You think Abraham's happy? Yeah. And what the angel of the Lord says to Abraham is this, now I know that you have not withheld anything from me. That God is number one in your life. Now I know. You know how important that is in life? I've said this before that for the first five years of Edgewater, I would preach and I'd preach like this. Aren't I smart? Please like me. And it was a roller coaster the next day because if I didn't feel like I was smart or people didn't feel like they liked me, then I'd be like, oh man, I blew it. Oh man, I gotta try harder. I gotta work harder. I gotta figure this thing out, right? It was just a bummer. It was just up and down, up and down, up and down. Then something switched in my head where it just became, you know what? This is God's truth. I'm gonna share it. And if you like it, great. If you don't, great, because my identity is not being a preacher. My identity is I'm a blood-bought son of Christ Jesus. That's my identity. My identity is not making you like me or dislike me or any of those things or seeming smart or not seeming smart. My identity is already secure in who I am in Jesus Christ. He's number one, and that changes everything. It's not I'm clinging to my precious. I gotta have this precious. It's mine. Give it to me. No, it's no. No. See, this test proved something. It proved that Abraham did not have conditions on God. God, I'll serve you, but don't you touch my son. God, I'll serve you if you make sure that my son gets a scholarship to a university. There was no conditions that Abraham put on God. None. God, you're number one. Everything comes after that. And I do believe Abraham had faith. Because God had made a promise to him in chapter 17, and it's verse 21, Isaac is going to be the recipient of all these covenant promises, and he's going to have a bunch of kids. Well, Isaac didn't have any kids yet. And when he says to the young man, um, we're coming back, I don't know if he knew how that was going to happen, but I believe by faith, he believed it was. The best Faith is when you obey and it does not make sense. You ever had moments like that? This doesn't make sense, but I know I need to do it. That's obedience. 
I had probably one occurrence like that. Grew up, wanted to be an engineer. Went to school, got an engineering degree. Wanted to do research and development. Wanted to live in Grants Pass, which there's like two jobs for that. I got one of them. Best job I've ever had, like besides being a pastor. Loved it. Got to travel, went to 25 countries with Met One. Treated me well. They gave me the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you want to try to do, try to do it here. And so I did. Just loved it. Just phenomenal, brilliant job. And then I felt this tug. You need to quit this job and go to the school of ministry. So I did it. Like, okay. My uncle, my uncle George, my aunt Linda, big time education people, not believers. So he's got a master in librarian studies. She's a professor of mathematics at Eastern Washington, like brilliant people, very educational. When he heard that, he literally drove down here to try to make an intervention. What are you doing? You studied for five years at a great institution, Oregon State University. You've got a good degree. You can make great money. What are you doing? This is stupid. Don't do this. I'm like, this is what I got to do. He's like, okay, tell me about the school. I said, well, we go out there and, you know, we're, we're learning the Bible. He's like, well, so what, what kind of books are you using to study? Is it, is it accredited books? Are, are you going to get a degree? Do you get a doctorate of divinity from this? I said, no, there's no doctorate of divinity. Well, do you get like a master's? No. Bachelor's? No. Associates? No. Certificate? No. He's like, well, well, the professors, they've got PhDs, right? No, they don't have PhDs. Most of them had their GEDs though. <laughs> He's just like, you're a lunatic. What are you doing? I had to. Because God puts things on your heart that you just say, it doesn't make sense. I can't explain it to you. I won't explain it to you. I just know this is what God's having me do. And what you find is God provides. You discover Yahweh Yaira, just like Abraham did. Doesn't make sense. I don't know. Dark. I don't understand this. God, you put this on my heart. I can't shake it. I've tried to shake it. I've talked to people. It won't go away. So I'm going forward. And then you discover the God who provides. That's what I've discovered. It took obedience by Abraham to make the discovery of God provides. And then you get an increase. And the angel of Yahweh called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself, I have sworn, declares Yahweh, because you have done this, what did he do? Obeyed. Good answer. Because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, you've made me number one. I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that's on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. Has God said that before? No. Nope. God just upped the covenantal blessings to Abraham. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba and Abraham lived at Beersheba. 
there's an increase. But it's conditional. Because you obeyed, because you obeyed, now you're going to, your offspring are now going to possess the gates of your enemies. They're going to live in the White House. That's the promise. They're going to have peace. He is blessed because he obeyed. My life, I can't imagine being more blessed. The things that I get to do, the things that I get shoehorned into. I did the best wedding I can imagine Saturday right here. So there was this family that the dad died. And so I did a funeral for him about two years ago. Um, His widow, when we met, said, well, I want you to know this about my husband. He was a stripper. I'm like, well, I'm not sure how to work that into the message, but, uh," and she started laughing. She goes, he was a wire stripper. (laughs) I said, oh, that's much better. Okay, thank you. (laughs) Because that was going to be awkward. Just, she's really great. She's an awesome lady. So just funny. So love the family. Uh, Part of the family lives in Portland. So they came down for the service. Talked to him a bit. Tragically, almost exactly a year later, the son um, is in an accident on Rogue River Highway. FedEx truck hits him, ends up, the tire is literally in his lap. And so I do a second memorial service for this family, a year apart. And that same couple comes down from uh, Portland and share with them again, talk with them a bit. And then they start being intrigued about the things of Jesus. They come down here this summer, they get baptized. And then they called me and they said, we've been living together for a long time and we're not married. And we've just been convicted that we have to get right. And it doesn't matter, we don't need a big anything. We just, we'll be down there Saturday on the 14th. Can you do our service? I would love to, right? So right out here, 8.30 in the morning, right? Right before the eclipse, it was really fascinating because we're out here and you can ask Juan because Juan said I was looking out and it was like totally like fogged in here, right? You couldn't see it. But during the wedding, right over here, just like this epic, just opening in the sun. And it was just like, man, God, you must love these two. And I don't like, for the most part, people writing their own vows because they're, they're just so American and they're not the covenant of marriage. It's, I love you so much and you are so beautiful and you just make me feel fuzzy and it's awesome and we're gonna live happily ever after. And I just wanna say, no, you're not, you're sinners. And it's gonna be hard, right? So the whole thing just bothers me. And so they had told me, you know, we've written our own vows. And I'm like, oh, well, okay, yeah, all right. And I was just, do I need to straighten this out later? They wrote the most beautiful Christ-centered vows I've ever heard. New Christians, just most solid, beautiful, Christ-centered vows about what Christ has done and how he has brought them and the rekindling of their love for God and each other. It was just, I was like, ha, can I get a copy of those? Maybe I'll use those from now on, right? Like just blessed. Now why? Because I've obeyed. If I had decided and said, you know what? Eh, school and ministry, I'm gonna start drinking. I'm gonna go to the bar. Hey, pot's legal now. I'm gonna start smoking some pot. You know, porn, porn's not that bad. I'm gonna start watching some porn. Would my life be different? Yes. See, there's a blessing for obedience. God gives the opportunity, no doubt. He opens the door, no doubt. But you and I have to say, okay, I'll obey and I'll walk through and I'll invest. And Jesus says in Luke 16, he says, that's the way the kingdom works. 
when you're faithful with little things, God keeps giving you more and more and more. And pretty soon you just say, I'm the most blessed man on earth because you obey. And then this chapter just ends with this little section because it's throwing us forward to the next main character. And now after these things, it was told to Abraham, behold, Milcah has also borne children to your brother Nahor. Uz, his firstborn, Buzz, his brother. How about those two names? You gonna mix those up, mom? Uz, Buzz, you, here. <laughs> Kemuel, the father of Aram, Chezen, Harzo, Pildas, Jidlath, and Bethuel. Bethuel fathered Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. Moreover, his concubine, whose name was Ruma, bore Teba, Gaham, Kahash, and Ma'aka. This is telling us there's a new guy coming, and here's his wife, Rebecca. Okay? So, Genesis 22. Hard, hard, hard chapter. But the Bible is true. It, it includes things that Right? There's this, there's this idea that the Bible was written by men to control other people and to get money. If that's true, why is Genesis 22 in the Bible? Why is the book of Job in the Bible? Right? Believe in God. Be like Job. Lose everything in one day, except for your wife, which you would have traded for anything at that point. Why is second... Corinthians 11 in the Bible. Paul, a man who gives up more than anyone else in Scripture for the kingdom and for Jesus. Beaten, slaughtered, fasting, just unbelievable, stoned to death, shipwrecked, starved to death. Are you kidding? Come, believe in Jesus, be like Paul. No way. The Bible's true. Genesis 22 is about who's on the throne does God get to be God in your life or do you put conditions on him? Is there something that you say, you can have everything, but you can't touch this? Then God's not God. You're God. Is Jesus your king? Is Jesus my king? That's what this is asking. Dads, is Jesus your king? Are you living in such radical obedience that your Isaacs are seeing, whoa, whoa, my dad. Have you ever sacrificed anything for the kingdom? Have I ever sacrificed anything for the kingdom? Isaac is gonna walk forward in faith, I think because of Genesis 22. He saw the ultimate example right here. He saw Joshua 24, 15, as for me and my house, we're gonna serve the Lord no matter what it costs us. And that's why Isaac says, I'll walk this thing out as well. That's why it's here. Jesus, would you be our king? May we not put conditions on you. May we not doubt in the light. May we not doubt in the night what you've showed us in the light. May we be people that obey even when it does not make sense, trusting that you are the God who provides. So fill and empower and send us out 
into this world as ambassadors of your kingdom. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.